Hello again and welcome to the Fat Feminist Witch Podcast, the show where I do a little ranting, raving, and wand-waving about witchcraft and spirituality from a modern feminist perspective. Today I'm interviewing Andy Grace, a regular contributor at Little Red Tarot, and the curator of We Believe You, Femme Surviving Toxic Masculinity, a new zine that's available from her website at witchcabinet.com. This uh, It's a multimedia zine that features stories, essays, visual art, music, and poetry by Femmes offering magical advice and stories about living with the impacts of patriarchy on both their emotional state and their magical state. So today we're going to talk to Andy a little bit about that and about some of her other projects, including teaching magical boundaries for Femmes. But before we get started with the interview, I wanted to talk a little bit about my time off (laughs) and my reopening of my Patreon page. So some of you might recall that um, last year I started a Patreon page to crowdfund some funds for the show, and I eventually ended up taking it down just because I I didn't really feel like like anyone who was contributing was really getting anything from it, and I wasn't really connecting with the people who were contributing to the show, and I didn't really like it. Asking for money, getting, you know, quote unquote, nothing in return is not really something I'm super comfortable with. But this year, I have been through quite a few things that I've been posting about on the blog and talking about on the podcast. And I entered a treatment program for mental illness and I began medication. This has drained a lot of the funds that I use for the podcast. Um, The podcast was actually down for a little while because I was struggling to get the hosting in. Um, my website is no longer a.com, but a.wordpress.com. So it's the fat feminist now. And this is because a lot of the, um, the money that I, I had aside or that I was making and using for resources for the show, I now have to allocate to things like treatment and counseling and medication. So I've reopened my Patreon page. And like I said, I'm not super comfortable just asking for money and expecting nothing in return. So what I've done instead is I've started a group. The group is called the Fat Feminist Witch and Bitch. A witch and bitch is a a gathering of witches that's really informal where you hang out and you you talk witchy stuff and you bitch about stuff. It's, It's almost like a girl's night. So the Witch and Bitch is going to be a a private group where those of you who are interested in joining the group can interact with other listeners of the Fat Feminist Witch. And with me, I'll be doing live videos and lessons and discussions. I'll be doing book reviews. And you can join the group for as little as $10 a month. There are other rewards. So if you want to pay a little bit more, you can also join the incense club where every month you'll be getting a new incense and about making incense. And again, there'll be videos on the group for that. You can join the book club where you can actually get the book we're reading that month into your mailbox with some private notes from me so that you can follow along without having to get the book yourself. And there's also a sketchy herbs and magic rocks program. So every month you can get a new sketchy herb and magic rock that is featured that month. And we'll talk about it in the group. And again, I'll be doing live videos and things like that. All of this money is going to go toward it. As, as I said earlier in the year, I have a lot of plans for the show for expanding the show. And I've had to take some time off again. And I'm hoping that Now that I'm a little bit more stable, I'll be able to do both, have a real life and also do the show if uh, if it makes any sense to y'all. So if you have a chance, check out my Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash the fat feminist witch. And if you're feeling so inclined, I would love it if you would make a donation. If you're not interested in joining the group, there are some options there for that too. If you're kind of a loner and you just want to help me out, I still totally appreciate that. (laughs) Thank you. And I really hope you guys check it out. And here we go. Here's my interview with Andy Grace on We Believe You, Femmes Surviving Toxic Masculinity. Okay, so let's start with the zine, with Femmes Surviving Toxic Masculinity. I know you cover it in the actual zine, but for people who haven't downloaded it yet, um, why don't you you tell me a little bit about the zine itself, about the overall kind of theme, and, and what inspired you to actually get it started? Yeah, so the zine, the We Believe You zine is the most sort of organic um, 
viral project I've ever created in the sense that it actually started with a really angry Facebook status. <laughs> I was really, um, I had been dating this person and like been friends with this person on and off for like a long time. And we had ended up in a complicated polydynamic that resulted in someone being really angry at me. And she reported my apothecary to the government. Oh. And it was just really, really messy and witch hunty and gross. And I was having a lot of anxiety. And and I'm like a pretty fierce person who like, even if I have anxiety, I can still kind of push through. And I was just really reflecting on how much work femmes need to do to just deal with the bullshit that we experience from the masculine people in our lives. Yeah. Absolutely. And how little they think about it and how much it affects us on a daily basis. And so I wrote this status basically saying to all the femmes, like, I see you, I see the work you do, I see the wounds that you're carrying, know that I believe you. I don't remember the exact wording, but it was something like that. And the status just like blew up. All of these people were commenting and saying, when I saw this, it made me cry. I really needed to hear this today. Like people sending me hearts and it just was really huge really quickly and I was like you know like reading all of this makes me feel like maybe I should coordinate a zine and with it and on the on the post um Jenny Magenta whose poem closes out the whole zine she wrote that poem onto the post and suddenly I had all these people saying I'll send something in I'll send something in it's like I want to do this and so I was like okay I'm just gonna make a page about this and I'm gonna put it out and just see if anything comes back and within about two days of having had posted the call out, it had 30,000 views oh my on God. my website. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. And yeah, it was really wild. I've only ever produced one other thing on the internet that had more views than that. And it was not that fast. I was like, this is wow. Like clearly like it really struck a chord. Yeah. It, it's obvious <laughs> people. that people really needed something like that at that time. Yeah. And I think, I think that it's just really real, you know, like it's a really real thing yeah. that we are dealing with the impacts of the patriarchy on the daily in ways that we're kind of just expected to just roll with and like still just provide endless emotional labor and like be happy and like get, um, I notice, like, for example, like within my family, like I'll do a lot of listening and emotional labor but then I still get ca characterized as like being like overreacting or like over emotional or like taking up too much space with my feelings and it's like yeah. the emotional labor I do is like invisible but when I like need some kind of support that's like whining or drama yes absolutely and that like gets that gets to you over time right it really does that that's something that I've um that I've struggled with in the past and actually like I've ended friendships over it. I, I realize at a certain point that I'm putting in a lot of work to helping them out when something is going wrong. You know, I'm there through their panic attack and they're not there through mine or, or whatever scenario it is. Mm -hmm. I, I That's something that I started to notice a lot as I got older. And I'm like, has this been happening the entire time? And yeah. once you see it, you can't unsee it. You start to see it everywhere and how much yeah. it actually happens. <laughs> yeah, Totally. And I think that there's also this way that community is really normalized the violence that gets that that happens and and really does like it's very very real that femmes get portrayed as overreacting and and there are moments where we are overreacting for sure there's Absolutely. moments where we're reacting from a place of trauma and and but also it's like we have to think about like what is producing this overreaction. Like obviously if you're being like gaslit repeatedly and you're you're having a really hard time like maintaining like a clear sense of your grip on reality, like at a certain point you're going to snap from that pressure. And I think a lot of masculine folks, like I know from having partners who are masculine of center trans folks who grew up um, as women and girls and then had like an experience of moving through the world now as masculine people, like those folks have really affirmed for me, like they're like, people don't listen to you the same way when they think that you're a woman or a feminine person. Like yeah. you're not imagining that. Like people listen to me differently now that I look like a man. Um, 
which is both really hard to hear and also like amazingly affirming in a solidarity way to be like, right. Yeah. <laughs> I am not imagining this. Yeah. <laughs> it's I good to know you're not imagining it. And at the same time, I feel a little bit like I'm really happy that you don't have to live with this anymore. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. really great for you. But at the same time, that sting is still there. Yeah. I'm lucky that the, that the folks in my life um, with those kinds of privileges are really good at like, pointing it out when it's happening and like but it is also yeah it it's true it's a hard thing and it's a tension for sure and the project like brought up a lot of tension around that kind of idea where there were masculine folks sending me emails saying like well what about the ways that femmes have hurt us and and I just responded being like you know what like your your pain is valid and like this project is not for you (laughs) like yeah I don't like if you if you want I'm not trying to tell you that your pain is not valid I'm just like I'm not coordinating a project for you because I'm not a masculine of center person yeah um, though I am like I mean I'm a non-binary femme so I have like masculine like aspects that I like identify with but I definitely like look and move through the world and behave like predominantly as a feminine person yeah and so the project got like about 150 submissions and then my life completely imploded and I left <laughs> I left a relationship and I left like my goats and my I left a lot of different things and it was really hard and um I ended up like moving to this island really far away from where I had been living and I got hypothermia living in a poorly insulated yurt. Oh my god. And the whole time I was like emailing all of the people who had submitted to the zine being like I'm sorry I have to push back this deadline. I just I can't do it. Like I'm just I'm freaking out. Like things are really I'm having a I'm having a hard time. And but the timing of it was actually great because what happened was is by the time the zine was ready to be launched, it was really close to Valentine's Day. And I was like, this I'm going to launch this on Valentine's Day because obviously that is a day that's really hard um, for lots of people. And it kind of blew up like it just it kind of went sort of all over the place. And it ended up it's 118 pages long. Yeah, I think it might actually be more now because there's bonus pages. <laughs> I know I've been getting them in my email and I was looking at um, the first one I downloaded today and I'm like, wow, there's there's like a lot more. now. <laughs> there's a lot more now. Yeah. And it's very like the font, like one of the mistakes I made with the zine is the font is too small. Now, when I make stuff, um, any like digital products, I try to make the font big enough that you can read it on a cell phone. Yeah. Like I have workshops and stuff like that and almost everything is in a size 20 and I think the zine is like a size 11 or 13 and you can't really easily read it on a phone. Um, But what that means is that that 120 pages is like, it's an epic amount of information in there. There's like a really big range of diversity in terms of people's experiences. There's lots of BIPOC folks, lots um, lots of folks who are not cisgendered and some folks who are. There's lots, there's music there's um poetry there's essays there's visual art lots of visual art so i think one of the strengths of the project is that it really um it really shows like a great diversity both in the mediums and in the people who submitted and i'm really really proud of the project like i feel like it i used to have an apothecary where i sold like physical medicines and it's a really interesting shift to be working in mostly digital things and to be like but i can still make medicine yeah i'm just making it in a different way (laughs) it's just a different kind of healing that people need to go through yeah and even people would mention to me that the prompts themselves like people would write me emails saying i didn't even submit my thing because it didn't feel ready but just like getting the prompt to create this has really helped me thank you I got that email a lot from people and it was really that's amazing yeah that's a a really great um testament to how much the work has meant to people even if they were like you know I I didn't feel like I could confront this a few months ago but now I feel like I can thank you for that that's amazing Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and And the original name of the title was I believe you and then I shifted it to we believe you because there really is like the mum the number of people on the Facebook page for the zine is like it's bigger than like the Facebook page for my business. <laughs> it's bigger <laughs> than like you know, like it has like it, its own sort of momentum in this really beautiful way. And 
I don't know what's going to happen with that momentum in the future. I'm contemplating doing another, doing another one because I think that people, it really struck a chord and I don't, I don't think that there's, I don't think that there's a limit to how much people want to talk about and create around this idea. No, I actually was going to ask if you had, um, if you had any ideas to do a second <laughs> version, because I, I can only imagine that there's more stories out there waiting to be told in this same way. I mean, you really weren't kidding um, on your website when you described it as a multimedia zine. I mean, there's, there's Instagram posts. I really like, um, I really like the one girl that posted her. It was almost like a like a visual art poem of fucking with some weird dude on on Tinder. Yeah, <laughs> I loved it. I'm like this. This really is actually relatable. So I was wondering if you had any plans to do a second one. Yeah, I mean, I I've definitely thought about it. I I always have like a thousand different ideas of <laughs> what I potentially want to do. Um. When I, when like, when my life fell apart, I left my goats with another farm and I have a plan about like going back to get the goats and writing as like curating a zine about familiars, like our like magical animals whilst I go (laughs) retrieve my goats from, (laughs) from the place I left them. Um, I have thoughts about doing, yeah, another We Believe You zine. I'm currently coordinating another zine called Soother which is when I, when I left the relationship that I was in, um, my partner was pregnant at the time and it was really, really hard and really complicated. And they and I have really different ideas about how that relationship, how the end of that relationship came to be. And, um, I have been processing a lot about like what it means to have come so close to being a parent and then not have that happen. And, um, so soother is about like the title of it is femmes soother femmes grieving family and fertility. And it's a really broad topic. The posts that are coming in, people are talking about parenting. They're talking about abortion. They're talking about, um, trying to have babies. They're talking about childhood abuse and different experiences. And, and we're really focusing on people's techniques for healing and resilience for dealing with that stuff. And the plan is to release that zine on mother's day. Wonderful. Just another like really trigger heavy day for folks. Yeah. That's, um, that's probably one of my least favorite days in the whole year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh... Yeah. And I mean, it's such a complicated day. Yeah. And so, you know, I feel like in my first year of running my business, I was very kind of like unto the wind I would like create something and throw it out and see if like throw it into the world and see if it worked and about like the timing of the week and the timing of the different things when to time things. And it's really just with the zine more recently that I've really learned how to think about like how to release a thing on a day when it is most needed. (laughs) When it's one of those things too, like I found with the, we believe you zine, I got a lot of messages from people saying like, I didn't even realize that I was going to have like, cause th- some people are also like trying to dissociate from those feelings and just put the blinders on and move through the day. And so it can kind of show up in their feed and it's like, Oh wow. Yeah. I really do need to, take a <laughs> to sort of sit and think about this. And I think one of the things that's nice about this project or like this, this way of creating a zine is that the zine is pay what you can starting at $0. Um, there is money that goes into, um, the cost of like creating and distributing it. But once the zine is created, it's, it's fairly inexpensive for it to just be distributed even more widely. Yeah. Um, and so it's a really neat thing because the accessibility of it is quite high in the sense that you can download the zine completely for free. Um, or you can pay more money and it's amazing how generous folks have been. Um, that's wonderful. (laughs) Yeah, and I really, really love the pay-what-you-can way of approaching it because it it means that there's no cap in how much money is given to me for coordinating the project, but there's also no no stopping someone from accessing it if that's something that they want. Yeah. And I love that because as much as I am totally a person who loves physical books, like I love physical <laughs> books and the cost of producing a book is quite 
prohibitive, both <laughs> both as a creator and also as the person receiving the thing. Yeah, absolutely. And because it's digital, it can have color and it can have links to music and it can have all of these different mediums kind of more easily nestled and yeah, it's really exciting. It's a, it's a different thing for me because I used, like I said, I used to have a physical apothecary where I made salves and tinctures and more physical things. And I feel sad that I don't have my apothecary anymore, but I really, I think that there's a huge amount of room for growth with the digital pieces and I love the accessibility of them. And I love not needing to go to the post office anymore <laughs> with like the packages. Yeah, I have to do that today and I'm dreading it. <laughs> okay, so in the zine, in, in We Believe You, there's a really good combination of work that just just speaks to everyone and work that also speaks to people who are magical practitioners or witches or yeah, whatever label people want to use for, for their spirituality. Um, what are some of the ways that you feel like toxic masculinity can affect people's spirituality and their, their spiritual growth or their magical practice? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's twofold the answer to that question, right? Like, one piece is that the root of toxic masculinity, and I will say that I don't think all masculinity is toxic. Like, I definitely have, like, a misandrist streak that I, like, yeah. mean to kind of, like, you know, I, like, try to, like, be aware of it and be like, <laughs> okay, maybe I need to kind of not always be applying this in every single moment. <laughs> but I think that, um, like, for example, like I have my Mars in Aries, like I have like a strong masculine part of myself. I have a masculine of center partner. Like, I think it's totally possible to have masculinity that's not toxic. And the ways that masculinity gets expressed in our culture in terms of entitlement and its connection to rape culture and sort of an encouragement to not be accountable, not talk about feelings. Yeah. Um, which is really drilled into us. Really bad. Yeah. Very in a way that it's like woven into the fabric of everything. The roots of that lie in the creation of capitalism the, the the creation and spread and imposition of colonization, you know, it's it's just like the base sort of points of intersectionality, right? That it's just yeah. these values of othering some group and cr telling them that their ideas about the world are wrong, putting them in the margins, putting them in the shadows, and then putting something else, typically a system that benefits a small group of people that is often <laughs> less wise in a lot of ways, like really centering that idea for the purpose of the acquisition of power. And so if you look at that system in terms of how it holds up toxic masculinity, it also suppresses magic. It suppresses personal power. It suppresses personal agency. And it particularly suppresses the wisdom of femme people. Yeah. And I struggle a lot with um, communicating directly and only to femmes because I get a lot of requests from people saying like, I don't identify as a femme and I'm not sure I should take up space in this workshop. And I say to them like, do you have any part of you that identifies that way? Like a little bit of glitter somewhere? And they'll be like, <laughs> yeah, of course I do. And I'll be like, well then this, this space is welcoming of you. Yeah. Um, but I definitely get, you know, like it's an interesting thing because as a non-binary person to, to have conversations about such a binary kind of idea it's tricky to sort of think about and wrap my mind around, but I think that it's important to give femme spaces to really like see and uphold and uplift each other because we are living under the impositions of a toxic masculine system literally in every single moment of our <laughs> lives. And it Especially really, it really affects you so deeply. And when you come to realize it, it, it can make you feel really angry, really overwhelmed. And you actually do, in a certain way, have to actually push it down sometimes to be able to just move in the world and not be freaking out all the time. Yeah, it's, it's so an like, easy thing to fall into to get, um, to get a little bit wrapped up, up in it. Like I said, once you start realizing that it's happening to you or happening to the people around you or just going on around you, it's really hard to ignore in the my piece that I wrote 
for the zine, which I literally wrote at the very last moment <laughs> before, because I was really, I was really like, I knew what I wanted to write and I was avoiding writing it. But the piece that I wrote is called learning to believe. And it's, it's posted on my website. Um, and it's about how I coordinated this zine and I struggle to believe myself that the things that are happening to me, particularly in relationships with masculine folks are actually happening as badly as they are happening. Like one of the things that has happened to me with my current partner who is like a masculine of center person is he's really amazing at pointing out like, be like, you know, this is happening to you because this person like is reacting to your gender in this way. You know, like he'll say, I can say the same thing that you're saying and not be responded to in this way. And on the one hand, it's like, I love him for pointing that out to me and the work that he does to like help ungaslight the things that I'm experiencing. And on the other hand, I sometimes am like, I just don't even want to know the full extent of how bad this is because it it can feel really exhausting. Exhausting and overwhelming for sure. Yeah. And so the piece that I wrote was about how it was about the sort of healing and difficulty and challenges that I had as a as a person who has experienced um abusive dynamics. And I've also like, I've done things in relationships that were not okay. I don't necessarily believe in like a super binary, like, like abuser versus someone who is getting abused. Like, I think that we live in an abuse culture. Yeah. And I've been in power dynamics where someone had more power than me and I had less power than them in some kind of a way. And that person was like, really, really, specifically, explicitly trying to hurt me. So again, it's like troubling the binary. It's like, I think that you can be a victim of something. And we can also live in a culture where no one is a perfect victim. We all are participating in dysfunctional dynamics and trying to move our way out of them as best we can. Absolutely. And I feel like it was really hard for me to come to terms with the fact that like, like I said, I'm a like, a many times over fire sign I'm a Sag, Leo Sag. I have a grand fire trine in my chart. I'm like super fire all the time. (laughs) And I realized in working on this project and in going through the changes in my life and in my relationship that that power that I hold is actually specifically something that puts a target on my back and, and makes it so that people actually feel more inclined to do things like gaslight me and do things like, um, try to sort of undermine my reality or take my power away in different ways. And so my piece in the zine was about processing that and really learning that like, actually it's like the ways that I am powerful. Like my ex used to tell me that they thought I had put a spell on them to make them love me. Oh my. Oh my. And I didn't do that. I've never actually cast a love spell in my whole life. <laughs> Cause it's um, scary. <laughs> well, they, and yeah. And I mean, and also scary. Like, yeah, I just that magic is it's just not my jam. I'm not judging. I'm not yucking someone's yum if it's that's <laughs> if that's their jam, but it's just not. And what I realized from from like really processing them saying that to me was that you know, I think femmes carry a certain type of really powerful magic. Um like I think that makeup is an art of magic. I think that being able to listen to each other deeply and like transmute like our emotions is an art of magic. And I think that that magic is really fucking powerful and that people want access to it, but there's this desire that comes from the toxic masculine values to, to own it. And it's a tricky thing to navigate both the desire to want to be held and to want to be seen and to want to be protected, which are all things that it's okay to crave those things. But when we lean into those cravings so hard that we allow our magic to be owned by someone else, or someone is really just forcing that ownership on top of us in a coercive way, that is like a really deep type of violence. And so the zine was really about being able to name and unweave and pull back out our magic from the claws of some of those things. That's fantastic. <laughs> I'm sorry. I got really like, I got really into what you were saying. I'm sorry. 
No, um, don't apologize. Don't <laughs> apologize. It's okay. I, I just, um, first of all, I found the zine really helpful. I, um, I'm going through a lot of, uh, healing and, and mental health healing and, and stuff like that and relationship healing and I found the zine really helpful and I it was like I didn't realize so many other people felt this same way while also acknowledging that this stuff happened to everybody you know what I mean I feel like I, yeah. I felt very disconnected from um, the idea of toxic masculinity I knew I experienced it and I could see it happening to other people but I wasn't mm-hmm. really sure if other people were feeling it the same way I was and I found a lot of the the stories and the pictures and the submissions in the zine to be really relatable. Um, mm-hmm. Were there any that really surprised you or that um, made you change the way you think about some of the issues in the zine? I mean, every single submission in the zine, I really, I mean, I really had a lot of things to choose from. There was 140 something submissions. There was about 150 originally. And then a few people pulled out for different reasons. Um, just cause it took a long time for it to reach the deadline and people were frustrated about that for different reasons, which is valid. And I just couldn't do it any faster. Yeah. I mean, when you're freezing to death in a yurt, you can only get so much done. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty epic. It was pretty, hypothermia in a yurt time was a pretty, it was hard. Yeah. It happens. I, I'm also Canadian, so (laughs) I've been there (laughs) and I actually, uh, I actually used to live in Vancouver. So I've been there. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Housing security in this place is an epic discussion of its own proportions. But I think, um, yeah, a couple of the pieces that really struck me. And like I said, like I had a lot of pieces to choose from. It took me a while to read all of the submissions. Um, I the piece that's called on gaslighting, which is actually there's not that many essays in the zine. Yeah. And this essay is quite long. It's written by Nora Samaran. She didn't actually submit that. I went to her and asked her <laughs> if I could put it into the zine. Because when I read that piece, I don't think I really truly understood what gaslighting was until I read her piece. Um, and then upon reading her piece, I ended up we ended up connecting over Facebook. And I actually sent that piece to a masculine ex of mine. And was like, I want you to read this and I want you to understand that you were doing this to me constantly. And he actually apologized to me. That piece was really, really helpful um, in articulating exactly how that feels. So that piece was a was a really, really important one to me. There's also a piece in there that is written by someone who does support work for survivors and who was simultaneously being gaslit by their masculine partner yeah yeah and because I was going through a process of having had been gaslit quite severely by my ex and going through an accountability process with a counselor and being like what do I need to be accountable for here where where do I sort of land in in this whole picture and one of the things my ex had said to me a lot was that my boundaries um were sort of too harsh or that my boundaries like forced them to do things they didn't want to do or my boundaries weren't fair or my boundaries meant that I was abandoning them. And, and I really did internalize some of that and I had to really work hard with a counselor to kind of get a sense of clarity, a little bit more clarity on that. And so when I read that piece and saw this like literally parallel thing happening where it was like word for word, I can't remember exactly the sentence, But it was like word for word exactly what my ex had said to me. I was just like, wow. Like it really made me – because I think one of the things that femme people do and like women are socialized, women and girls are socialized to do, if there's a problem in a social dynamic, we tend to think first and foremost, how is this my fault? How can I make this go away? Yeah. Yeah. How (laughs) How can can I I move this this over? And someone like me who is very fiery – and, you know, says what I think. I think people maybe sometimes don't think that I get stuck in that loop and in that process in my own mind, but I totally do. And I really, I really had to work quite hard with my counselor 
to unpack the ways that the things that were being said about me and to me about about my boundaries like were not actually my fault and that there was huge amounts of gaslighting happening and so it's this thing of it's like you go to your own personal experience and then you see it mirrored in another person and then you can kind of zoom out and see the ways that it's happening systemically to so many of us every moment of every day And it feels both really overwhelming, but also deeply undoes the gaslighting because you realize that you can start to undo some of those, this is my fault. I'm so deeply responsible for all the hurt and pain in this dynamic and recognize that like we live in a fucked up world (laughs) and, (laughs) and we're all struggling. Like even the toxic masculine people, those folks are really struggling and in some ways like worse than worse than the femmes are because at least the femmes to a certain extent we have each other we have yeah. you know we have we have our magic we have our ability to connect with each other we have resources like this zine and other projects where we can really like see and love and affirm each other and undo all of this stuff but if you're in a toxic masculine paradigm and you're not a strong enough person to be able to really listen and sit and reflect and unpack some of those pieces like you're going to be stuck hurting people like that for the rest of your life yeah. And that's like that's actually like you're causing pain but you're also in pain being that person, I think. Absolutely. Um I I think one of the most valuable things I ever learned, I I took a women's studies class. I took one. I actually failed it, which makes me laugh now. But it's <laughs> funny. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me laugh now. Um but in this women's studies class, I think in one class, it was the most um it was the most eye-opening class I, I took that whole semester, actually, out of any of my classes. And this one class, she talked about how um, misogyny and, and how toxic masculinity affects men and, and the reasons that men treat or, or masculine presenting people, toxic masculine people, why they treat feminine presenting people a certain way. Like, where do these issues come from? And they usually come from, uh, you know masculine people not being not feeling like they're allowed to share their feelings not feeling like they're even allowed to take responsibility for things where if they take responsibility for their actions or their feelings they're somehow weak or they can be victimized at that point um how men in a subconscious way or masculine people feel often afraid of other masculine people because they've got a lot to prove and it's something that's ingrained in them from such a young age and it's almost like stuck so hard in them that it's almost in their dna because it's just the way we keep raising our masculine people and yeah i had never really thought about it that way before because you really think like oh i'm a woman and so i'm the victim here and they're hurting me and you kind of get stuck into that way and the more I started to think about it, the more I started to see that everywhere. And I noticed that toxic masculinity is not something that just affects women and its effects on men are really, really deep and really sad. And I became really grateful to have feminine friends that, you know, allowed me to share my feelings about it and allowed me to be angry about it even, or allowed me to say, I've been victimized by this without them making that into a bigger deal or making it into my fault necessarily. Some do because yeah. they're assholes, but yeah. <laughs> but in general, yeah. that's something that masculine people don't have. They don't have that support system. Yeah, they really don't. And and it's such a tricky thing because I know from talking to the masculine folks in my life, it's like on the one hand, I like crave for them to be able to do the emotional processing and the emotional work to like exist in the world in a different way. And I also just have like a really limited capacity to like help them do that unless we're in a relationship that's mutually nourishing. Yeah. And the reality is it's actually really hard to find as a femme, a relationship with a masculine person that is mutually nourishing. Yes. And that bar like, um, Clementine Morgan has like a fabulous piece about this. I think it's called the cuteness matrix and it's about how femmes there's loads and loads and loads of amazing femmes. Um, And it's not to say that femmes like 
I'm a femme. I have like issues. I speak to a counselor on a regular basis. I'm constantly like trying to look at my shadow stuff and trying to like trying to figure out how to like not be reacting from a place of my trauma and to try to like hold myself in a different way in the world. I think we all are on a certain level. No one no one is innocent in these dynamics. We all are we're hurting each other and we're hurt and it's just you know, it's happening all the time. And yeah. I think that, so, so there's femmes and there's a lot of us and we have skills and we're, we're really amazing, beautiful, powerful humans. And then there's masculine folks. And the reality is that the masculine folks who are capable of having really nourishing, meaningful, supportive relationships with whoever, with other masculine folks, with femmes, who, people who don't identify on either side of the binary, like there's actually just much less of them. Yeah. And so the femmes end up in this competition and that, and we end up competing with each other and cutting each other down and having deep feelings of scarcity. And there's a responsibility that the masculine folks need to have around like, you know, how they carry themselves when there is this kind of scarcity that we're experiencing. And I think that it's hard because I want that work to happen. And I also just have like a limited capacity to sort of handhold somebody through doing that work. Absolutely. Um, and so it's a really, it's really complicated. <laughs> have you but I, had- them, I really do. I have like genuine empathy for the masculine folks in my life who are looking at that stuff and who are really letting it sink in. Because when you're a masculine person who has let that stuff sink in, like if I'm a femme and I've let that stuff sink in, I can find other femmes who will back me up and see me and hold me and like lift up my voice and have joy in my success and like call me out when I'm not doing something in the right way. And if you're a masculine person, like it's really hard to find that kind of support and solidarity if you're trying to be like solidly unpacking the misogynist things that you're steeped in. Absolutely. Especially because uh, I know a lot of times... I expect a lot of, um, when someone's like, I'm a male feminist, I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> and that's oh, yeah. about it. Like, I just like, I'm like, oh, sure you are. Because I I still assume that it's some sort of like trick <laughs> or it's just, you know, it's it's something that's just not real. It's just not real. It couldn't happen. And I often feel bad or guilty after like, you know, he probably doesn't have any men that believe him either. <laughs> It's not just yeah. me and I, I feel really guilty about it. But at the same time, um, I just, I don't have the energy in me to, I don't have the energy in me to heal on a kind or to focus on a kind of healing that, that isn't mine. And it sounds awful. It really sounds awful. But I find when I focus on, on the healing of this, this toxic relationship with other femmes, I feel like. I'm healing myself as well. Whereas with other men or with masculine people, I feel like it's not something I can devote as much to. I can't be as involved in it. And I, I really wish I could just say to someone like, can you take this over? Can you do this please? Because I need this to happen for all of you. But there's just, I don't, there's no one there's, there's no one I can really, well, I'm sure there are, but I don't know anyone that I can, you know, pass that kind of stuff along to and I feel kind of bad have you had any masculine people contact you about the zine or um read the zine or give you feedback or anything like that well my masculine partner just bought me breakfast in bed while I'm doing this interview so that's that's oh wonderful (laughs) yeah I'm I'm very lucky in that way um I don't know I'm not totally sure I'm sure that there's probably some mask folks who have read it. I had a couple of messages from masculine folks who said, should I read it? Uh-huh. Like, is this even for my eyes? Should and I said, it? yeah, I think you should read it. And you should be aware that like, if it brings up feelings for you, like maybe there's something to look at there. Yeah. I also, I don't think that, I don't think that it's awful for you to want to be focusing like on your own healing. Like <laughs> I think, like, I don't think that's awful at all. Like that's actually like I teach a online class called Hawthorne Heart, which is um, a boundary, magical boundary skills for femmes. Yeah, I teach a class called Hawthorne Heart, which is a class about boundaries. And I think that I know that for me, learning to set boundaries is it has been a really, really 
really tricky process that has involved a lot of loss and a lot of people being disappointed and hurt and people accusing me of being selfish. And maybe in some moments that's been true. And in other moments, that's not been true. And people have actually been being selfish themselves because they just they don't really don't want to hold space for me to have like the boundaries that I need to have like safety and integrity in my life and in my body and my spirit and all the things. Yeah. But I think that a lot of the work that I do both in my tarot practice and with the zines and in facilitating this workshop is really like supporting femmes to be able to put themselves first because the reality is that like no one else and nothing else is going to do that and we actually need we need to be able to do that for our magic to keep thriving we need to be able to do that to continue supporting each other and our relationships become like kind of sticky and unhealthy and codependent if we're constantly giving ourselves away and hoping that others will give themselves away for us instead of us all supporting each other to take care of ourselves and then having mutual aid like also woven into that process. I I I really like what you said about about no one else is going to put you first. You have to put yourself first cuz no one else is going to. It's like it's weird that that has never really occurred to me. <laughs> I'm I'm also really learning um to work on boundaries. So tell me a little bit about um the magical boundary skills for films. Tell me a little bit sure. about it. So, yeah, so Hawthorne Heart is a workshop that I offered a few, I've offered in a few different ways. Like I, I offered it in a women's center at one point and then I did an in-person one in East Van and then I did one online in a Zoom format. And this time now I'm actually doing four digital lessons, which I'm realizing now upon writing them are way too long and need to be, they each need to be split up into <laughs> these two, two lessons. Um, but basically, so the course right now, it has four parts. Um, the first part is containing, which is setting a container and talking about the practical skills around boundaries. I published some of the curriculum on my little red tarot column, um, from the first part and then also doing like some shadow integration. So looking at like, why is it like, if we have really weak boundaries, like what are we actually getting out of that? Like what part, I know that for me, when I have weak boundaries with people, it allows me to not make decisions and be frustrated at someone else that I'm not doing something that I want to do and not take responsibility for it. Yeah. Yeah. When I'm able to look at that, I'm like, wow, okay. (laughs) I really like, I will actually have a lot more power if I stop complaining about this other person and start trying to shift as much as, as as much as I'm capable of within myself. The second part of the course is called remembering and it's about ancestral memory um, and how like the memories of our ancestors that live in our bodies affect how we perceive and move through the world and how that affects our sense of safety and danger and our relationships to our trauma. Very cool. I also Very talk cool. a little bit about um, there's one person writing who I copied who's talking about their perspective on boundaries from like a more martial arts perspective. So he's less talking about – he talks about the idea of like – you know, you don't want your boundaries to be an electric fence that you're having to power constantly. And every time someone touches it, you're just getting exhausted holding this electrified fence. Um, so there's and there's also perspectives from um, a Coach Salish language revitalization teacher. Um, and there's some astrological pieces in that lesson, too. And then the next two lessons after that, there was one called vibing, which is about tarot and building altars and like the energetic qualities of our boundaries. And the last lesson is called planting, which is about herbs and plants. So the whole course is kind of about um, protection magic and learning how to protect yourself, but learning how to kind of unsettle the idea of protection um, Because when we think about boundaries within like a settler colonial perspective, we mostly think about borders, which are actually really harsh and violent and involve like dispossession and theft and really things that we don't necessarily want to be replicating in our boundary practice. So the course is about learning to set boundaries that both honor our own needs, honor like the needs of our shadows that are coming through. Um, but also honor our relationship to community and honor like our personal vitality in a way that we're not actually just setting our boundaries strictly from a place of reaction from trauma. 
it's not to say that reacting from trauma is like automatically a bad thing. Like the reactions I've had to my trauma have allowed me to like survive situations that I might not have survived any other way. And those survival mechanisms also sometimes hurt me if they're not appropriate to the moment that I'm in currently. Yeah, and absolutely. So yeah, so Hawthorne Heart, I accidentally created a course that really should be <laughs> eight weeks long. And it's it's doing, it's doing four weeks right now. And I'm going to, I'll launch it again probably <laughs> in the fall. And it will be double the size. <laughs> It'll be eight instead of four. <laughs> And folks could join a Facebook group where they get to talk to each other about the questions. And it's really neat. The group is really diverse. I got double the signups I was expecting for this round, which was amazing. Amazing. Um, and I think a lot of the folks who bought the zine are now doing the workshop. And so the community is kind of like continuing to to grow in that way. That's awesome. I really hope you launch it again because I'd, I'd really like to join up next time. I couldn't this time, but I, I'm really interested Um in learning better boundary skills in general, especially with magic, because it's something that uh, now that I'm learning about boundaries in general, I've been a little bit nervous magically. Like I, I'm afraid of, I don't know, I, I'm afraid of not setting proper magical boundaries now. And I, I feel a little extra exhausted around people. So mm -hmm. boundary skills are just, I mean, it's one of those things that we talk about all the time, but it, it's actually kind of hard to learn. It's really hard to learn. It's incredibly hard to learn. Even writing about it is really complicated because I found, I know that in setting boundaries, and I have done this and I've had it done to me, that we can set boundaries from a really reactive place that ends up actually just like hurting everyone in the situation. And so I'll put forward an idea in the course and then I will tend to like kind of buffer it with like and the opposite is sometimes true <laughs> like, <laughs> over and over and over because there's moments you know there are like I talk about in the course you know there's moments where the the brain experiencing trauma really wants to see things in black and white but one of the ways that we do that is we see some people as safe and some people as unsafe and sometimes those categorizations are true but a good portion of the time people fall somewhere in the murky middle and if we're always reacting as if some something or someone is deeply 100% completely unsafe, we can sometimes actually be hurting ourselves by having these really reactive boundaries that come from the place of our trauma. And so it's like how, how to hold a boundary that creates like a sense of personal integrity um, that isn't super exhausting and painful to hold and ideally creates actually greater intimacy with the person that we're setting the boundary with. But the way that the other person reacts is also not our responsibility. So talking about all of the different pieces and parts of it is really complicated. One thing I would suggest for folks like that is not a resource that I created, but is a resource that I absolutely love is a podcast called Chai Chats. And they have two episodes on boundaries that are fabulous. How do you spell One that? is called Chai Chats. Yeah. Is it Chai like Chai tea? Yeah. C-H-A-I. Cool and just chats. Yeah. And they're on SoundCloud and I absolutely love their podcast. I'm gonna it's check a, it it's a, it's akin, very similar to the topics that you talk about for yes. sure, but more talking about like emotional labor and it's just like femmes. Two of them are femmes of color. Like they're just talking about really epic shit. <laughs> and they have two episodes on boundaries that are absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, and I'm also, yeah, if folks want to get a peek at the content, like I like I said, I did, um, I published a piece of the curriculum from Hawthorne Heart on my little red tarot column. And I'll probably publish a bit more of the curriculum the next time I do the course around so that folks, I'll probably publish a more magical piece of the curriculum the next time because the piece that I published is more some of, some of the practical steps. But you'll see if you read it, it's like, it's very like... Um, Boundaries are complicated. There's not yeah. <laughs> something, there's not a clean cut, super easy way. And a lot of the time we have to set it, see how it feels and notice like, is this right? Do I have to change I my boundary now? Yeah. <laughs> Do I really want to stick to this? Yeah. I mean, I talk about in the course how boundaries being negotiable is actually a really important part of them being effective because if we set the boundary and then it's causing us pain, for example, yeah. or it's not working or maybe the person we set the boundary with has demonstrated that they have done work to change, we might actually want to negotiate 
with our within ourselves a different way of relating to the boundary. Yeah, and well, sometimes we do that, and we realize, oh, I actually needed to keep this boundary as firm as I could <laughs> in the first place. So, yeah, one thing I'm learning give about an easy answer. Yeah, one thing I'm learning about boundaries is that it's totally okay to change your mind. It's totally okay to change your mind, and that's something that's I, I often feel like I need to feel really guilty about changing my mind. But mm-hmm. um, when it comes to boundaries, like it's totally okay to change your mind just because it was okay for someone to do something. Uh, a certain way a few months ago you know if you've decided that that's not good anymore it's okay to change that boundary and to assert it that way yeah it's okay to talk to that person about it and you don't have to feel guilty or bad or like a hypocrite and that's like again it's one of those things where it seems like that should be something we all inherently know but it's just not no it's not and the opposite is also true, right? Like, it's okay to set a really harsh boundary with someone, you know, to have, like, a no-contact boundary. And then to decide that maybe you actually do want to talk to that person and to go and talk to them. Because it's okay to forgive someone. It's okay to want to move on. It's also okay to go and connect with that person and realize that they're exactly the same way that they always were. Yeah. And to reinstate your boundary back the way it was before. Like, all of that is allowed and we're allowed to have we're allowed to have our needs change. Yeah. Yeah, and they should change as you grow and get older and your life changes. Your boundaries and and what you're willing to accept and live with and the way that you interact with people that it should change a little bit at least. Mhm. Especially as we're reflecting on what has been going on in our lives and sort of what's been going on in the other person's life and the capacity that we have and, and how do we like, I think a lot about the idea around disposability where it's like, you know, I don't, I want to create a culture where we can both have boundaries and not dispose of people. And it's really hard to put those two things in balance. And um, someone who I really look up to Kim Katrin Milan, I asked her a question about this and what she said was, Everybody deserves to have community and be loved, but not everybody needs to be loved by you. (laughs) Like you can be the person you can like say, I want what's best for you. I want you to have community. I want you to be in the world and be supported. And like, I am not the one I am not (laughs) capable of holding this space for you based on what's happened between us or because we have different needs or because we have different values or whatever. And it's like, that's How do we find ways advice. to have deep compassion for ourselves and the other person and the boundary that we need to keep our integrity? That's such it's really advice. hard. It's so hard. That's such great advice. That idea that like, you know, um, I see it all the time. It's like a Facebook meme where you're like ditching toxic people. And I read yeah. that and I often feel very like disturbed by it. I'm like, listen, <laughs> I'm probably a toxic person, you asshole. Like it's not... At, I'm I'm acknowledging that like my my issues make me a toxic person. I'm hurt by the fact that someone wants to bail on me, but at the same time, um, there's been times when I have to leave somebody. I have to not talk to somebody anymore, and it's like, what's the common ground here? What what's the, what's the middle ground between bailing on somebody because they're a toxic person and being someone who just thinks everybody is toxic? You know, it often feels again you yeah. feel guilt for doing that so the idea that yeah everybody deserves to be loved but they don't have to be loved by you is actually really good advice yeah and I I think about that a lot in terms of like like having had left my most recent relationship it's difficult because my ex is really weaving a narrative of me having had abandoned them yeah I don't agree that that's what happened and I don't need to go into the details of why but what I notice is that I'm really trying to hold both things simultaneously to be like to grieve the love that we shared and to grieve like all of the things about them that I so deeply miss and to also be like, and I can't actually keep you in my life. Like neither of us can keep the other one in their lives because like it isn't working. Like it's really painful for both of us. And it is interesting. Like I, like how we react from a trauma place to really just, you know, when we're in a place of trauma and we're feeling hurt, we often want to degrade the person who we're in conflict with so that it's easier to dispose of them and it doesn't hurt us as much. And we feel justified in disposing of that other person. And it's like how to grind, how to ground into this place of being like, you really hurt me. Like I feel fundamentally like wounded or like I'm experiencing like tangible 
unsafety as a result of your behavior and I see the good in you and like I want you to heal and I love you and I want those same things for myself yeah. it's really yeah. really hard to, to sit in the in the fire of that yeah <laughs> like it's yeah. and it's not what we're taught to do we're taught to like see things in a really black and white way and to be like you hurt me so you can fuck off <laughs> and it's like <laughs> And sometimes that's sometimes you do need to do that. Sometimes yeah. that is survival mechanism. Yeah, sometimes and that person really needs to fuck off. Yeah. It, it totally happens. <laughs> yeah, completely. And if that is the only mechanism, the only tool, like I like the idea of having a big toolbox where I can, on the one hand, tell someone to fuck off, but I can also hold in my heart that I want good things to happen for that person. Yeah. I want it to happen over there where we're not necessarily talking, (laughs) but I still like can hold, try to hold like wishing well for that person and not even necessarily for them. Like I do want that for them, but also because it's just like, it's harder on my heart to have that constant pulsing anger. Yeah. Which I'm not shaming the anger. I think anger is like valid and necessary. Yeah. So, so important. But it's like, is the anger serving you or draining you? I think that's like a really important question. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think anger usually starts out in like a servitude position and, and ends up becoming something you're carrying around that you shouldn't anymore. A lot of times, not always, but a lot of times. And and I think it's hard to recognize when it's time to start letting anger go. <laughs> yeah, especially so when because people... anger anger is totally a safety blanket in so many ways oh yeah it's it's a coping mechanism it's a like it's a real serious like kind of bad coping mechanism i, I recently went through a treatment program for mental illness and they're like anger's not bad they're like if you're someone who tries to get rid of your anger all the time because you're afraid of it that's very normal but a lot of people just dive right in and because it's safe and it it feels natural to them and they're like that's not you need to be able to experience anger and then get rid of anger and not let that angry without letting that angry thing stay in your life and uh that was really good advice that's something yeah and i think i think it's so tricky because like we fundamentally need anger yeah like if we don't express anger we also have a hard time expressing like passion or like it affects like our sex drive. It can get turned into depression. Like we need to be able to connect to and express and work through anger. And it's like, if anger, like I used to work with youth where we would talk about like, what does anger feel like in your body? And they would say like, it feels like fire. Yeah. You know, it's like you try to maintain, you try to put out the fire when you actually need some of it, you're going to lose some of your basic vitality. But if you keep it burning, 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 and just kept inside of you, like that will burn you out. You know, so it's like, how do we relate to it as like a creative force, as like a sexual force, as a magical force, as a protection force? And how do we be able to see the edges of when it's hurting us? Yeah, I think those questions are really important. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I feel like a lot of times some of the sources for finding that kind of information or healing can be a little bit uh, patronizing. Um like I mentioned with the, you know, the Facebook meme, Facebook memes are the worst in general for most of this stuff, but (laughs) (laughs) they they say so many awful things in in so few words and one silly picture, but it's, it's usually this idea where um, you have to let go of anger right away or not feel it at all. You know, the chronic positivity where it's like, you know, just push it away and then never feel it. And and it's just, yeah, no, that's not a good strategy. (laughs) No, it's not, but it's so popular that I feel like it's really, um, affecting people's ability to feel anger because they're just they're so afraid that it's going to make everything super negative and their magic especially is going to be really affected by their anger and I I really hope that goes away soon mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm, I'm hoping that uh, a lot of people even more people keep going with Hawthorne Heart and and learning some more magical boundaries so they can learn to rein stuff like that in and, and use their magic a little bit more for stuff that's actually going to serve them and help them. Yeah. I mean, I hope, I hope to have, I hope that the course creates like some sense of community where folks can really like ground into a sense of integrity in themselves and like really shift a sense of believing that they deserve that type of protection and that it can happen in a way that is not just like it should be informed by their trauma, but the trauma shouldn't be the only thing informing where the boundary comes from. So thank you to Andy Grace for agreeing to be on the show today. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. And I also kind of hope that you guys went into an embarrassing trance during some of her dialogue. 
because she's such a fantastic speaker. I got really caught up in what she was saying. Like, I bet you guys can just picture me there with my my chin in my hand, staring at my Skype screen. I was really into it. So you can find your own copy of We Believe You at witchcabinet.com. It's download for pay whatever you can. If you can pay, I strongly urge you to do that. But if you can, I strongly urge you to still download the zine and to really take your time going through it and and go through some of them a couple of times. I like to keep mine on my phone and and every now and then when I I feel like I need it, I can look through it and um, at the very least, the Tinder girl makes me smile. (laughs) So check out Andy Grace at witchcabinet.com. You can also find a lot of her columns at littleredtarot.com. And as usual, you can find me at thefatfeministwitch.wordpress.com. You can also find me on Twitter at Fat Feminist Witch and on Facebook as the Fat Feminist Witch. So thank you all for tuning in to the podcast today. I hope to have another one again for you soon. Stay magical, everybody.